Amen. All right, if you've got a Bible, it's Luke chapter 11. So phones, Bibles, something. Luke chapter 11. We're going to look at a story in regards to prayer, but I'm going to introduce it first with something that Jesus taught that most of us are familiar with because it has significance for where the story ends up going with the story that Jesus tells, right? So it opens in Luke chapter 11 with the Lord's Prayer. If you've ever been around athletics or some time of a group, we often recite the Lord's Prayer. So let's see how many of us remember some aspect of it. You know, you don't have to... You don't have to know it. I'm not, it's not a required test assignment here. But some of us do. So uh, if you remember it, repeat it after me. Here we go. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. For deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. All right? So that's the Lord's Prayer. That's Luke chapter, the first part of Luke. Now, at the beginning of that, the reason Jesus teaches them according to Luke's gospel, it's in Matthew 2, but in Luke's gospel, the reason he teaches, he says, hey, Jesus, we see John's got this thing that they pray together as a group. Could you teach us to pray like John's disciples to pray? So in essence, what is happening here is Jesus' disciples are like, hey, can we have a group prayer that we do together like John the Baptist's disciples have a group prayer that they pray together? And so the Lord's Prayer is not necessarily an individual prayer. It's actually a disciple's prayer. It's the whole group together finding something that they pray together in unity as a group. Now, the group idea, the community dynamic, plays well into what the story, uh, to the story that unfolds here in just a minute. The other thing I want to make mention to you before we jump into this is the idea of it saying, Our Father who art in heaven. It is not Father, right? It's not, Dear Father, would you please pass the rolls? No, this is Daddy, 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 okay? It's a reverent awe of it, but it's more intimate than Father, okay? It's Daddy. So it's got a personal nature to this, and that's going to play out in the story when we get to the end of this together in verse uh, 12 and 13. All right, so here we go. Luke chapter 5, or 11, verse 5. Sorry, just see if you're paying attention there. Luke chapter 11, verse 5. Here we go. And he said to them, which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his imprudence. That's what my word has. I'm going to ask you in a minute what your word is, so hold on to that. Yet because of his imprudence or persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And then it goes on to say, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, instead of a fish, will give him a snake? Or if asked for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we have this story of a man late at night who has a guest that arrives. Surprise, here I am, friend. I've arrived. Now show me hospitality. Uh, I'm hungry. And he's like, uh, bro, it's midnight. I don't know about you, but um, that's kind of a surprise visit. I don't know how many of your friends just magically show up at midnight. Mine don't, typically. I'm usually fast asleep by midnight. 
Um, so at midnight, the, the late at night, the French shows up and says, here I am. And the, the idea here that you have to understand for this whole thing to make sense is hospitality. We honor guests when they arrive in our home. Not only for this man who has arrived, the friend who has the guest arrive at his house, it's not about his, just his reputation on whether or not he shows hospitality to this guest. The entire community's reputation is at stake on whether or not this guest that has arrived from out of town is being treated well by this man that lives in the house. But he has no bread. He has no food. It's not unusual. What's the Lord's Prayer say? Give us this day our daily bread. Give us just what we need. That would have been pretty normal for this time period. There's not leftovers in the fridge like you and I have. Um, I think there's leftover pizza at my house when I get done. Nothing like good cold pizza. Y'all eat cold pizza? Right here, bro. You got it. So there's no leftovers in the house. That's not how it works. You get just enough for the day. You make just enough for a day. So he has no bread. So it's late at night. It's dark. It's late. I have this guest. The entire, my reputation's at stake. I have to show hospitality. My community's reputation's at stake. I've got to show hospitality. I have nothing. I will go to my friend's house. I will knock on the door at midnight and say, Dear friend, I have a guest that's arrived. Please give me three loaves of bread so I can show him hospitality. What's the response of the man living in the house? I'm in bed. What, who's in bed with him? Okay, again, not unusual of this time period. It's usually a one-room house. I know most of us have like five or, or two or three rooms at least, living room, kitchen, bathroom, and bedroom. Bedroom, living room, and kitchen are usually all one room in these houses. Okay, So if he gets up and makes bread, who else is going to wake up? The kids. How many of you have like little baby brothers and sisters anybody got little baby brothers and sisters what's it like when they wake up late at night is it just great no it's not they're crying they're fussy because they're tired or if they get up and they're half tired they get like crazy right they just get too much energy and you're like calm down no okay so this man knows that if he starts moving around and starts fixing this man bread, it's going to stir the whole house up, and he's just got everybody settled in, and things are great. But whose reputation's at stake? The entire community's reputation's at stake. So what, it's, what does he say? I tell you, though he will not get up and give him bread because he's a friend, He's going to give it to him for another reason. Because of, I have the word impudence. What word do you have there in verse 8? Importunity. Shameless boldness. Shameless boldness. Ooh, interesting. What? Persistence. Has anybody got an NIV version? Thank you. I love that one. Shameless audacity. Normally we use the word audacity. The audacity of him to do that. Is that usually a good thing or a bad thing when he shows audacity? It's usually a bad thing when they show audacity. For some of you, that's an SAT word. You'll learn it later. It's little, get, you'll learn it when you get a little up, higher up in the education thing. So, yeah, audacity is not a good thing. And now he's shamelessly audacity. 
I know I just messed that up. I'm not. I'm a really. I'm a youth ministry guy, not an English guy. Shameless. Audacious, it's like bodacious, right? Shamelessly audacious that he would do such a thing as knock on my door in the middle of the evening. The boldness, the persistence, I need this. My reputation's at stake. The community's reputation's at stake because he steps out and says, I have a need. And recognizing the importance of the need, that man will respond to the need and give him what he wants. All right, so what we see in 8, it says, you know, ask and it shall be given, or 9, ask and it shall be given to you, or seek and you shall find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks, it will be open. In our context, if that's who we, uh, if that's what we're doing, we're asking, we're seeking, and we're knocking, who are we asking and seeking and knocking towards? Who? God. So we're talking about prayer, right? That's the context, and that's who we're going to. So, we're the friend who comes knocking on the door and shamelessly audacious, thank you, Brindley, are knocking on the door asking for something of God. Now, let's take just a pause for a second because I want to make sure we recognize who God is in this as it rec- kind of reconciles some things. God is somewhat compared to the man who's sleeping in the bed with a child. All right, so I want you to grab a Bible real quick. Look at, that, look at that phrase, and I want you to partner up with a friend and come up with two reasons why this guy is different than God. So I want you to think about who God is, his character, his normal behavior, what you know about him, and how is he different than the man in bed with his children in this story, okay? I'll give you one minute to come up with two ideas. Partner up. Talk. Chat, chat, and then we'll talk. I want to do it. We'll do group talk in just a second. Start giving unto me. What, are, what makes this God different than this guy? God never, sleeps. God never sleeps. Good. Somebody else. God's not going to say, don't bother me. Good. God doesn't have to get up and make bread. He can just say bread and make bread. The door's not locked with God. It's always open. That was a good little metaphor there. He probably already has something ready to give. Good. Andrew. Anthony, he doesn't sleep. I love it. Um, he doesn't do it because he feels obliged to. He does it because he is. Yeah, there's no obligatoriness to this. God does not go, well, since you asked, I guess I'll respond. God doesn't do that. He freely wants to respond and give. You got one for me, Frank? He's not worried about his reputation. His reputation is not at stake. He's, he's going to put himself on display to make his name famous. And, and give himself glory by answering your request and being a part of this process. So he, he knows what he needs. He 
knows what we need before we ask. He knows what we need even before we ask. But yet, verse 9 says, ask, seek, and knock. So you see a difference. I don't want you to think that God's like the man sitting at home. The point of the story is to focus on the friend who asks. That that's our role. That's what we should be doing. We should have the shameless audacity to ask God to help us in a time of need. And knowing God is different than the man that's in the home should give us confidence to say, you know what, I know who God is. I should have confidence and boldness to come before God and give him, a, give him my request. Basically saying, if a tired and selfish neighbor finally meets the needs of a bothersome friend, how much more will a loving Heavenly Father meet the needs of His own children? How much more would God meet our needs than this man? Because he does, you've already described the character of God. Look at verse 9 again. Let me, let me tell you one thing about verse 9, these verbs here. It says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. All right, there's three verbs, commands. What are they? Ask. Good, I know it's, it's afternoon. English class is over. We're going to do it anyway. Ask. Seek, knock. Good. Now, I'm not going to give you the Greek words for those, but I am going to give you the tenses of those words because that's how Greek works. The tenses of those words are present, active, imperative. Perhaps you've heard of the word imperative before. What is an imperative? Uh, it's important. It's a command in a verb, so it's a command. It's something you're supposed to do. You're supposed to ask, seek, and knock. It's present active, which means you're supposed to keep doing it over and over and over and over again and never stop. Continuously. Continuously ask. Continuously seek. Continuously knock. Okay? That shameless audaciousness, right? That's what we're doing. Continuously asking God. Now, I'm going to have a question in a minute that's going to have a real impact on us compared to that expectation. The expectation is asking, seeking, and knocking continuously because the response that God wants to give is in verse 10. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who find, seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, it will be open. God wants to respond to our request. That's the, what the story is about. But are we bold enough, persistent enough to ask God? Again, it will reflect on the Father. Look at verse 11. It says, what, among you, who, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent or a snake? Or if asks for an egg, will give him a, serp, give him a scorpion instead? Um, I, if my son or my daughters ask for a Pop-Tart, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to give them a rock. Now, my dog, on the other hand, would prefer the rock over the Pop-Tart. Good grief, all right? But for my daughters, I'm probably not going to go, hey, here's a Pop-Tart. Uh, no, you need a rock. That's really what you need. I know what's best for you. Eat this rock instead, right? As their father, I'm going to make sure they get the best and they get what they ask for and what they need, not what they want. That would be spoiling. I'm not going to do that. But I am going to give them what they, need, what they need and take care of their basic needs. That's what God is implying here. Remember, Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Just what we need, being content. But God does desire to give us those good things. Now hold your place. Go to Romans chapter 8. 
Again, just reflecting on this idea that God desires good things for us, our best interest, our, his care and concern for us is important. It's somewhat reflected similarly here in Romans chapter 8, um, verse thir- beginning in verse 31. So Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Pages are turning. I love it. Making sure everybody's got a chance to push a button to get there or turn a page to get there. Okay, here we go. Beginning in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will we not, he not also, I'm uh, sorry, I messed that up. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he, uh, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who is indeed in, interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor debt, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's desire through through the blood of Jesus Christ is to bring us into relationship with himself. Desires that intimacy and care. Now, I'm... I'm a dad. You know, most of y'all know Lauren and Julia. They're around, right? Um, now, there are times I don't always work at the office. There are times where I work at home. Um, it would be very easy for me to, to lock my door to my office and say, don't bother me. I'm busy. I'm working. I have other things more important than you to do. But then that would mean that I'm not, to, in my mind, I'm not being the father that I need to be. I'm being something else in that moment. So what I have often done, even in my work, is I've left my door open to be accessible to them. They know that even while I'm working, if they have a need, they can come to me and ask. They can interrupt what I'm doing. Even when they were really young, I'd even let them climb up into my lap, and I would reach my arms around them and keep typing. Because usually I was writing a paper because I was in school at the time. I'm working, but I'm still going to make sure I engage and meet their needs. Sometimes I'll even stop what I'm doing in order to meet the specific needs that they have. If it's food or who knows what, you know, the bugs in the house, oh my gosh, we're all freaking out, somebody's got to kill it, right, because it's all, I got all girls in the house, Julia will kill it, Lauren on the other hand, not so much, don't tell her I said that, um, but there are needs that I will meet, but as their father, my job, it, they have the freedom to come ask anything, now, do I say yes to everything, no, no. But as the father, they have the freedom to ask. I want them to have the courage and the boldness to ask to, in order to receive. Because if they don't ask, I don't know there's a need. And I want to be able to meet that need. There's sometimes where I go either not yet, now's not the right time, or no, I don't think that's in your best interest. I, but the key in that is not the response. The key in this parable is the request. Do they have the courage and the boldness not to be afraid of me, but to come walk before me and come and stand, either come crawl on my lap or come stand beside my chair and say, hey, daddy, uh, I'm hungry. Can I have something to eat? Can you fix me something to eat? 
Unfortunately, some of us in this room don't have that luxury. We are actually afraid to go ask our dad anything because we don't know what the reaction will be. Will they be angry with us? Will they get frustrated? Will they do that? But what I want to tell you guys, for those of you that are in that situation where you feel like maybe I'm not sure whether or not my dad will respond appropriately or not, maybe even to the point of moving past just a no, but be physical in some form, that's not who God is. God is different than that fatherly figure for you. That God wants good things for his children. He wants you to come and bring him his request. And guys like me, you know, some of you guys have got um, dads in this church. We're, we're attempting and working and work in progress to do just that. To be the dad who works that way. Who gives you the ability to, to who want to do good things for their children. But in God's design, that's what he wants. Look at verse 13 because he reinforces. And Luke's really cool about this. He does something different than most of the other Gospels. In verse 13, he says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. So, hey, by the way, your dads are sinners. Just in case you didn't know, they're not perfect. They're normal human beings. There's nothing super about us. We are normal. So he's implying that, that we're sinners. We're, we're similar to the dad. That Maybe it's a little inconvenient for us at times. He says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more... Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? Luke uses the term Holy Spirit here. But when does the Holy Spirit show up? Some of you Bible trivia people, when does the Holy Spirit actually show up? Acts chapter what? Close. Go one more. Two. Excellent job. Well done. Acts chapter two. Uh, trivia question for you. Do you know who wrote Acts? Luke, hey, how convenient is that? Luke, who we're reading right now, wrote, the, wrote Acts, and it's about the Holy Spirit. So he spends all his time talking about the Holy Spirit. Did you know? Probably not, because I didn't know until I studied this. That Luke uses the Holy Spirit 13 times in his book. Matthew, Mark, and John use it 14 combined. He uses it almost as many times as they do in their entirety. And so he's, in, he's giving you a foreshadowing of things to come because he's already investigated that because that's part two of a two-part work, Luke and Acts. He's giving you a taste of things to come that God so loves you that he's actually giving you himself in relationship. That God, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, will indwell you with the Holy Spirit and give you himself. That's how much God loves you is that he wants to give you not just good things, but even better things, and that's himself. Now, these requests, um, remember, it's shameless audacity, boldness to come, and you are coming to a daddy that is loving and but also revered because you know his character. You guys have already described it for me, and you know the promises that he say are true and that he'll follow through with them. That's what's happening in this moment. Now, here's the challenge. Here's the problem. This is a struggle. If that is true, then why is it our relationship with God is often the least intimate and least re engaged relationship that we have? You don't have to answer that right now. I just want you to think about that. That what we just read in this parable is, is that God wants to have a relationship. He wants us to be shamelessly audacious, just to go boldly, persistently pursue him. 
Come to me. Ask. I want to give it to you. I want to respond to your needs. I want to meet your needs. I want to show you how much I love you and have that deep relationship with you. And yet it's the, la- the last thing on our mind until we forget to study for our test. And then we walk in and go, oh God, please help me do well on this test. God wants so much more. And yet we're like, well, maybe I shouldn't bother him with that. Or if you're like a true American, it's I'll do it myself. I'll figure it out. And you'll do it alone. And you might get some results. But can you imagine if instead of you doing it, you let God do it, what the results would look like? Instead of us, you know, I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. Ryan keeps telling you all that. That's not true. Uh, can you imagine God's way smarter than me if he actually took care of my problems instead of me taking care of my problems? How much better things might turn out? But I'm a little stubborn. And then I'm like, oh yeah, this isn't working. Maybe I should get God involved in all this. Yeah, there's a good idea. But yet, he's often the last thing we think about until we actually need him. Or if things don't go the way we want them to, then we bring God into it, but we end up blaming him. Well, God, this is God's fault. It's not my fault. No, 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 no. It would never be my fault. It's somebody else's fault. Sometimes it's God's fault. So let me go back to the parable, because here's the challenge in all this for us, and here's what God is inviting us to do tonight. He wants relationship, but we continue to walk away. Sometimes it's rejection, other times it's neglect or ignoring the availability that God can provide, the, the care, the provision, and the access that he wants for relationship. By Jesus' example, Jesus taught us to pray, If you read through Mark, he prays all the time. He gets away to pray. He loves to pray. He loves to spend time with his Heavenly Father. He sets the example for us of the passion that we should have for praying. And that should be the challenge for all of us. So I'm not asking you to ask God for a million dollars and see what happens. If he does, make sure you give me part of it, okay? What I am asking you to do is be realistic. What do you need? Now, what do you want? What do you need? Do you need wisdom? Ask him for it. James 1 says so. Do it. Shamelessly ask for God to actually make you smarter. You can do that. Proverbs affirms that if you will study God's word and you will meditate on it, it will make you smarter. You can do it. If God, you want to see God work a miracle in your life, maybe it's healing for someone, ask God to provide the healing. If you want to see one of your friends come to know Christ, ask God to do that. If you want to see him heal your family, ask God to do that. If you want to see him heal a relationship in your life, ask God to do that. But he's not going to do it unless we come shamelessly, audaciously before him, boldly, persistently coming at him going, God, please, please, God, do something in my life. I need to see you work and move. But yet sometimes it's the last thing we think about. Maybe today we can change our attitude on that. Maybe today we can start letting God have a chance to do something different. Maybe today is the day we start seeing God move in our midst and recognizing, man, God really is exactly what he says it is and can do, as Ephesians says, much more than we could ever hope or imagine. Let's pray together and then Ryan's going to come up and chat with us for a little bit.